Happy Tuesday and welcome back to another episode of Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz directed comedy, Bowfinger. One minute of screen time per episode. Hello everyone, I'm your wobbly introing host, Ethan McKinley of Two Minute Terminator fame, one of the original Two Minute or One Minute shows. And uh, I'm here with my co-pilot, the amazing Jim O'Kane, who's graciously allowed me to come on and host this show. Uh, thank you, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me back. I think oh. I'm going to get better at these intros as we go. I'm slowly finding my sea legs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's riding a bike. That's the way it is, you know? It's, exactly. Uh, Look, Mom, no stabilizers. Crash. It's like, it's like tying a piranha to a boomerang. You just know it's going to come back and bite you. So, uh, the, uh, oh, I think the problem is my glasses have a smudge on them, so I'm going to remove my glasses now. And there okay. we go. And then I try to be all cool and do some uh, ad-libbing, which is... Uh, as we all know with that oh my god that's even worse as we know with ad living it's a it's a minefield <laughs> it's throwing a lot of stuff out and getting very little return it's like uh, alone with bernie madoff <laughs> hey uh, out of the jokes there we go uh the <laughs> yeah i i i am I'm, I'm amazed that you could do the show without glasses because i am i need a i'll need a dog and a cane to uh to handle the rest of it i'm just jim okane <laughs> start manufacturing those feel uh Feel a lot. I need really super big type just to just take a look at anything. So I remember oh, I, I, have, just have I to, do that anyway. That's what I, I mean, mean, I used to start. I, I noticed that I needed to uh, start wearing glasses when I was tromboning things. You know, you'd hold the paper and just kind of move it in close, move it away, move it in close. And I just yes. gave up on gave up on that and went with uh, the old uh, drugstore glasses, and then followed <laughs> by an actual trip to the uh, to the eye doctor. Now, um, something I forgot yesterday was to say this is minute 27 now james ah. can walk us through the clip i've got lots of questions i've had prepped this time so uh, yes yes i've had lots of time to look at the clip and uh do some recon on some of the actors so we can have a deep dive into that yeah it, uh, where it, are we it starts with a, a bowfinger telling uh telling slater that well you know if if you hire her she might want to get paid and who wants to pay actors to do a silly movie and uh but and then we we finish with uh well, uh, Slater and Daisy locked in a very uh, heavy, uh, steamy, lots of heat embrace. So <laughs> lots of it. heat. All, all in 60 seconds. Now, I forgot. I did a bit of research on uh, looking at Steve Martin's IMDb, actually. And I, I forgot this. He did uh, a film in Goldie Horn with uh, Frank Oz, didn't they? What did they do? It was uh, the, uh, the in-laws, the next door neighbors. What's it called? What's it called? What's it called? Where is it? Oh, Where is it? Gosh. Um, I swear to God it was them. 
No, it was. Oh, hang on. Frank Oz is director. Here we go. Yeah. I've, already, I've already messed up my MDB. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Oh. No, I remember maybe the I did have the wrong glasses on. The in-laws was somebody's favorite movie. I can't remember. House who. Sitter, sorry. House, House Sitter with Sitter. Steve okay. Martin, the in-laws. What am I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so we thought it was just David on Scandals. In the interim of time, we did have uh, House Sitter as well, 1992. And then Bofing was obviously 1999. So they do have a history. I thought they had. Yeah. Yeah. But um, does Goldie Hawn have a... Oh, well, Frank Oz does. Frank Oz. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, Frank Oz directed him and Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Uh, What was I going to say, though? You met... uh, Let's get into this. So this actor, Cole, right? Cole Suddeth, yes. This is one of his first roles, you said, I think. uh, Yeah, this was his... This was his breakaway role, apparently. He uh, This is the one that got him into a bunch of other things. Um, I don't have IMDb open right at the moment, but I know... That's that- all right. I can do that for you. I'm, I'm yeah. here. I'm on Carl's IMDb now. I'll go back to the start, because, uh, again, no offense, Carl. I, didn- I had not heard of this man. I'd seen both of but I didn't... Sex in the- okay, so, yeah, he started in 95. His uh, first job was Married with Children, playing spectator behind Ken- Kelly, uncredited. Uh, and then Concubine Number One in a film called Illuminata in 1998. Sex and the City. He was Rhett in the film 54. Never seen that. And he was Wagner in Rounder. So he gets quite far quite quickly. Starts climbing the uh, the ladder with uh, John Malkovich's uh, incendiary or crackling performance, if you will. If you don't have my money, do you remember that one? <laughs> John Malkovich is the Russian card shark. <laughs> and then he's straight into Bowfinger, pretty much. Uh, and we're off to the races. Now, this is a casting, folks. It, they're very uncomfortable. I've been in a million of these. Maybe, have you done any auditions for anything, Jim? I'm sure you have. You've done everything else. I have I have auditioned for reality shows. I was in one. Oh, where, really? Yeah, where they talk See? to uh, people who collect. I forgot, I've forgotten the name of. I don't even know if the show ever made it to production. But in uh, <laughs> I was living in, Phil- or in the Philadelphia suburbs, and they were looking for people who collected movie memorabilia. And I had right. some. And they asked you to bring down your most uh, unusual or unwieldy type of. Uh... So is this like porn stars or storage yeah. w- walls um, or thing? Yeah, and yeah. it was it was one of those things that I had talked with. Uh, I have a couple of friends who are serious. I mean, and by seriously into movie memorabilia collections, they have stuff that they keep in their like a panic room with a uh, halon fire extinguishers and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's it's right. not quite at the level of uh, Dorothy's shoes from the Wizard of Oz, but at you know near that there's lots yeah. of uh, i know a couple of uh, bond collectors especially that have original props from the uh, connery era bond movies and things mm. and uh yeah it, it so they were looking for like middle of the road people so right. i had a uh <laughs> Is that, for, for some, you yourself short people think yeah people and, and uh one of the things that i thought of is i have a uh i have a six sheet billboard poster to a uh, ghidra the three-headed monster one of the uh uh yeah godzilla villains yeah godzilla yeah one of the one of the bad guys from godzilla movies and uh, it's enormous so i thought this would be rather comic to unfold and try to show you know a large yeah uh, yeah large billboard thing so i went i went to that and they were all kinds of people bringing in things and they were mostly i mean it was rather pedestrian it was like people bringing in one sheets that they had from raiders of the lost Ark, and this was back in the yeah. 90s too and it was like it wasn't really that big a uh uh, a deal. I mean, I have a, I have a couple of things. I have a, uh, this is really esoteric, but I have a, um, a piece of a camera that was used 
CBS, uh, CBS in, in America, yeah. when uh, back in the 19, late 1940s, early 50s, there was this big fight over what kind of a color television system there was going to be. Uh, RCA had one where you'd have uh, red, green, and blue dots that would be drawn over with on lines. So is this and, like VH versus Betamax or Blu-ray yeah, versus HD? Yeah. And they were DVD, and yeah. completely incompatible systems. And the thing with the, yeah. with the RCA system won out because it was also compatible with existing black and white televisions. Sure. But uh, I have a piece. CBS used a thing called a field uh, field generator uh, thing where it would change the entire screen would go red, then it would go mm -hmm. blue, then it would go green, and there was like a spinning. Kind of like those old-fashioned Christmas lights that had a spinning um, uh, wheel in front of it. Yes. And uh, I have one of the original pieces from the CBS uh, experimental uh, color television set. And that you know, but it's so esoteric, it'll be hard to explain. As I've just yeah. done here, uh, it would be hard to explain <laughs> in thirty seconds on some show that you'd see next to Pawn Stars, and you know, or on HGTV or one of these, uh, whatever collectors thing. So uh, I brought this large poster of uh, of Ghidra and unfolded it and it kind of disappeared behind it. I'm over six feet tall, so it was kind of, you can understand how how large it was. And I thought it looked kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> never got a call back on that. And they were just asking me to talk about the talk about the thing. And there really wasn't that much to say about it. It was a billboard. Uh, Ghidra was from like 1964. And uh, I managed to get this from a, a guy that used to sell unusual uh, unusual sized uh, poster art from uh, from movies back in the 70s yeah and uh, but that was my only real like an audition and i guess i wasn't that interesting enough so i didn't get the job so i was i was reduced to podcasting <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny the collector's market now because it's kind of hard to make things valuable because there's so many kind of franchises that have got a a myriad of things like they might overproduce figures and this and that so it's hard to kind of like yeah. gauge what's actually a rarity well, what's that, what's that the, the British show, the Antiques Roadshow? Is that we have Antiques Roadshow? Yes. Yeah. And we have like Comic Con, and there's a trade floor at uh, Comic Con in the in Birmingham, and there's Horror Con. So I think maybe they're the places to kind of find that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, Antiques Roadshow is more like antiques. But you get that on BBC America or something, do you? Or? Yeah, I think I, I, yeah. I, they may even have an American version of it. That mm. you know, basically, somebody theoretically, you know, you find something in. Uh, the attic and all of a sudden yep. it's the crown jewels or something and it's uh, yeah it's it's like that but uh you know i was trying to figure out where the show was going to go i, I mean wh what the point of how how could you drag this out for half an hour other than people showing up with odd things that they have you know stuffed in a in a closet somewhere well it's um, the story behind the item isn't it i guess that's the, that's the sell with anything even in restaurants now it's like artisan food and this mushroom is from a certain farm and I think they kind of do that with the antiques ratio. It's the history of the item and, you know, if there was any kind of like political strife attached to it or, yeah. you know, it well, was owned by Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter and then it fell into my hands somehow. I, I have a, I have a relative who was a buyer for hard rock cafe and would get rock memorabilia. Yeah. And, you know, after you've opened your 30th or 40th store, the rock memorabilia gets a little, thin yeah yeah it's like you have to come up with an obscure 70s disco band and this yeah. was you know the, the the guitar pick from some guy i'd imagine like very like i guess dull because you've seen so much of it what is kind of i guess visually appealing what has a good story to it what will attract how many signed guitars can you have or a broken shattered guitar in like in in, re in case in resin kind of thing yeah and yeah. and as as it turned out i mean they uh they were telling me that uh 
people like Willie Nelson and stuff will use a guitar for a night. I mean, he has his, he has his yeah. guitar that he's been using forever, but he will use something where he will pick it up for one song and play it. And then Just all of a sudden memorabilia. that becomes memorabilia and they can sell yeah. the whole thing off. So it's, you know, it, it's just another funding source. So, um, somehow, this, somehow yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's money. I mean, it's like, um, I know there's a thing with, with astronauts, if you're, uh, if you're in a, uh, you're on a crewed mission and, uh, let's say you have three Apollo astronauts, yeah. uh, the first two, the first two guys will sign it for maybe a hundred dollars. But if you're trying to finish the set, then you get 10 times whatever you're asking yes. for, for an autograph so that you can, you know, com- have, have this completion thing. Hmm. Um, I'm sure it's the same way with comic books or whatever, you know, wherever, where, if you have a band, band member, Bill, you have to get all the members of the band and the last person gets the, you know, gets, gets the big swag at the end yeah i always find the autograph industry kind of strange because unless there's a certificate a certificate with it i can say certificate on the radio unless there's some form of like uh you know legitimizing thing a stamp a hologram how do you even know because i need yeah. get those autograph hunters on like paparazzi videos on uh, youtube when they're harassing people or bothering them they go, oh, like when harrison Ford he was like i'm only going to sign one you know what i mean i don't know if Stallone yeah. do that how do they make that a real thing and charge actual money for it to go he did sign this you go well how do i know unless you're actually there and you did it for you personally i know i know they don't mind tend to, they didn't tend to mind signing an actual one for a fan but these professional autograph ones would be like piles of like one sheets and glosses and things they want to sign it's like how do you make a business out of that as an autograph hunter yeah it's um i mean it's very difficult i have uh <laughs> i have a friend who handles uh one of uh, one, uh, let me just put it this way he handles a a, a, a big celebrity and mm. uh part of and they're kind they're mostly retired they're in their you know 70s 80s up, up there but they're very famous and uh all that he does pretty much all day long is he they they have boxes of things like baseballs or uh, right you know, unusual items and they sign it and they send a letter with it saying this is a you know authorized signature so that you have right. some kind of certificate and but you know it's like if you get 150 bucks every time you write your name yeah it's basically literally a license to print money you can yeah i know stallone does that through his uh instagram page he's got stalloneshop.com but i'm just thinking like how else would you know unless you like i said have like a, a personal encounter and then it's a, there's a special story attached to it for you it would just yeah. seem like a moot point going oh yeah this is a ticket stub i did tell you that story i think on the last show we were doing some kind of charity gig when I worked for this big event company and it was at the Roundhouse, the big rock and roll like place in Camden in London. And they were having this kind of dinner for some kind of tennis charity to help cancer patients. And Tim Burton was there with Helen Bottom Carton at the time. Carton? Carter. And uh, he was doodling on napkins all night. And I was circling that table like a vulture. <laughs> he was drawing like all these kind of, from his book kind of, uh, doing Edward Scissorhands, Spike, he did the like some type but not quite version of the penguin with the black eyes and stuff with this biro pen then he went to a pencil on like the back of the menu and at the end i thought he's gonna leave those he's now he he knew what was going on he not because he spotted me but i think it might just must just happen when he's bored that's whatever whatever he does and he just put them all up and put them in his pocket I was like no uh. <laughs> <laughs> you probably really have to sell it but it'd just be nice to actually keep an eye tim burton uh created these but yeah it must happen enough that he's aware that okay i'm not going to leave this here yeah yeah so. yeah now i've uh, a friend of mine went to a, a peter max autograph signing he was signing he was signing books and uh my friend my friend has a daughter a high school age daughter and when they got up in line with with her turn in line 
uh, she turned to Peter Max and said, you know, instead of giving me an autograph, could you draw a quick sketch of my daughter? And her daughter smiled and he was, I guess, in a good mood and drew a picture of her inside the book. So now she's got like an original Peter Max portrait instead of just an autograph. <laughs> and he signed the, he signed the picture. So it's like, holy smokes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm always, always amazed that people have the foresight to think of stuff like it's like, oh my gosh, that could be worth a fortune. Well, he may have done, she may have done it to kind of just go, this breaks his, not programming, but like the mundane. Oh yeah, yeah that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I'll do a little sketch kind of thing. So yeah. it's more of a whimsical, uh, you know, event for him as well. Yeah, it, it's just astonishing. Well, somehow this all relates to what we're watching. It does. I was with, about to come uh, back to the awkward kiss and reading from a script. Now you get this, uh, listeners, if you actually find the clip on moviesbyminute.com, I, I take it, I suppose. Or if you um, just watch the film along with watch, us. I don't yeah, watch, watch the film and watch the clock. It should be, when you get the minute 27, you should Minute 27, to... the audition and then the awkward kiss. But before then, they are yeah. reading scripts, or she certainly is. And well, uh, she's yeah, doing and... the the cardinal sin of not lifting off the page. Now, uh, sometimes you're given a script. I've probably happened once or twice in 20 years, but when you do, the mistake I made in the early days was uh, just reading the lines and the people with the camera or the people watching you, be it a play or a TV thing, will be looking at the top of your head and they're not seeing you acting. So lifting off the pages, face up, eyes off the page as much as you can, and uh, you know, try and preempt or get the line. Now, the trick was back then, which I wasn't doing, was trying to get every word perfect, and that's what would stumble me, as opposed to getting a sense of what was going on and just trying to play jazz around it. So, if I'd known that now, we'd have had a lot more early success, I think. But uh, yeah, she's she's trying to lift it off the page, but uh, she's just reading it off the page. But I mean, all this is done by design. I guess these guys know the drill. They've been through this themselves. Frank Oz has probably seen a million people audition. And here it is before us in the clip. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. I'll how, how much how much can you hold in your head when you're doing a scene? Uh, well, I've had this very discussion with Hainsley over the scripts. I'm supposed to be guessing for this Bollywood film, Sea Car. Uh, I've been cast in a, a Bollywood film, essentially. Was it? No, it's uh, oh, As Asami, As, isn't it? Asami? That's the language. Oh, I think yes. there are 20 regions in India. They've all got their own industry. There's three big ones, and then everyone else satellites around that. This is a, a Sami film, I think. Forgive me, uh, listeners from Assam, India, if I've got it slightly wrong. I'm not looking at my notes. But uh, I'm waiting on the script. My only policy with this is the more you know your script, the better you can act. Meaning, if you're not thinking about the next word, what's my next line? And you'll see this when I've auditioned people for stuff when I used to work in casting. Uh, there's not a panic, but you can see their brain isn't engaged in the scene because you're not reacting to what's being said or this or that. If you truly know your lines inside out, and I know if any actors are listening, anyone has any amateur stuff even, if you know everything perfectly, you're not worried about your performance and therefore you're just in this kind of flow state and just doing it. Now, I know with TV and film, sometimes you get the script on the day or you know <laughs> the, the night before, and I think... Amy Jackson, who's like a big English Bollywood star, white English girl who was started doing Bollywood films, she said it's just kind of an erratic way of working they have over there, but they dub you over anyway usually, so it's not to worry about. But uh, Kurt Russell has said this, know your lines inside and out. The more you know your lines, the better your performance because you're not worried about anything else and you can literally, I guess, play ping pong or table tennis with the you know, actor across from you. And that's, I guess, where the magic happens, where those like little moments, move, classic movie moments, great performances in movies or plays like happens. But, uh, you know, it's not yeah. always perfect. And with learning lines with me, 
uh, I find learning them, drilling them the night before, and then 20% usually is in my head. My memory's never that really good for that stuff for some reason, maybe the dyslexia. Most people, I think, pick up lines a bit quicker than me, but I think I found if you do stuff and then sleep on it, you can usually kind of uh, have, you know, 25 to 40% in your head. And if you have like more days with it, uh, yeah, I, I'm dynamite. But if you do it on the day with any actor, I think it always kind of suffers. And that's perhaps the outcome of whenever you've seen a low budget film or some kind of a, one of those asylum films, those that do ripoffs, <laughs> transmorphers, not transformers. You see that with them, but it's tight schedule, low budget, learn your lines, oh, they change the script, oh my God. So yeah, the, the luxury of time. Gary Oldman has talked about it. He calls it bedroom or kitchen acting where you don't get any rehearsal and you have to kind of cram as much into your head before you start shooting in the prep time, the days or even the weeks before, hopefully weeks. Uh, yeah. And you look like a schizophrenic person when someone walks into the kitchen, you go, no, I did that. Launch the missiles. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, over to you, Jim. Sorry, I'm rambling. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's exactly what we're looking for in this, in this conversation. <laughs> I'm a, a friend of mine Root used to write for Nickelodeon shows and he wrote for yeah. uh, one of them was uh, Clarissa explains it all. And uh, <laughs> I know that, the actor who played the dad on that show had a terrible time memorizing lines mm. and he had the part. So they couldn't like let him go or get a new dad for, uh, for Clarissa. So what they did was he would stage, um, he would stage basically cue cards laying around the, the set. And, like Brando. Yeah. And he'd like walk from one side of the set to the other and just slowly read the lines off of, uh, you know, the back of a couch or the in front of a TV set or, and uh, once he told me that I'd, tune in on a couple episodes of Clarissa and watching the dad and he'd just kind of be staring off into space <laughs> saying, you know, Clarissa, I think, yeah, and, he'd, and he'd, he'd have him like set on a different spot so he could turn mm. his head and look at the, you know, and finish the sentence with, you know, looking in another Is direction. Is that live studio audience, Clarissa? Or no? Uh, I think it was pretend studio audience. Okay. I think it was okay. Uh, laugh track. Canned and, laughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they didn't really have, <laughs> most of the Nickelodeon shows, they didn't have time to, you know, have an audience file in and it, yeah, trying to get them to laugh would be even more difficult. <laughs> uh, um, one thing I'm noticing in this clip, by the way, we're looking at uh, Steve and uh, Adamo, right? Yeah. The, the the way Steve and him they're trying to see something within the performance and look they look like very professorial or deep in thought, like they're trying to look, they're watching great art or at least trying to see something in this empty scene that they're trying to conjure in front of them. I've seen that look a million times. The, the well, thanks for the, coming in. Yeah, templing of the fingers and yeah. Um, I, <laughs> What you were what you were saying about uh, about them knowing their parts, I think when you watch uh, mm. Cole and uh, and Heather Graham here on, on the outside of the building, just previous where Heather's walking away and yes. she knows that she's about to get hit up with uh, with Cole's lines, um, and they go through this this scene as she's slowly putting together how Hollywood works. It's like, well, this guy knows how to work the director. So I should be, you know, it's like, I, I like the way that they drop that little plot point without being too, too obvious. I mean, she says, he listens to you. And so he goes, yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it's, um, <laughs> you know, you just, you see the little, the little wheel spinning on her. Um, the hypergamy Jiminy Cricket in her head going, ah, this yeah. is the route to the top via this guy. And then the next guy and then the next guy. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just a, a, a lot of fun just watching that whole scene. Um, yeah. I can't help but notice the, the movie poster in the behind Cole uh, or Slater is uh, apparently Bobby worked on the Yugo story, which <laughs> <laughs> was a, some kind of a documentary about a really low budget Yugo uh, cars, car right? from the, from yeah, the 70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember Yugo's. Yeah. 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 And uh, it, it's, you know, 
basically you know it's like the Renault Robin. It's just a really <laughs> horrible car, but <laughs> uh, yeah, and he may have been directing commercials. I mean, it's just there's so much to the background of what Bowfinger was doing. We saw that in the opening credits where he, he had done like all these acting. You know, he he did. Uh, I think that's that's what everybody goes into after they after they decide that acting isn't going to make them enough money. They go into workshop uh, selling workshops. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, did Frank Oz write this as well? Does he write all his own directed scripts or not? Don't, yeah, I'm not I, sure. Hang I think on, I'm, I'm pretty sure he he wrote it with Steve Martin, if I, right. if I remember correctly. Now, do we know anything about what prompted this? Their kind of trials and tribulations coming up? Because was Frank originally an actor, or was he a puppeteer working with Jim I, Henson? I, I think he worked with with Jim Henson for like since the the old days when they were doing coffee commercials together. So I'm sure he had a lot right. of production background behind him. And, right. Uh, I mean, by this time, gosh, they'd done the Muppet movies and all the all the other stuff. And then he was working, you know, then in, then in with Lucas Films and doing Star Wars and stuff, and Willow and the Dark Crystal and all that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's he's got a major chops behind all this. Um, I'm sure that his his living room has probably like that uh that that small little uh, table that's behind uh, Slater. Uh, mm. If you look at the bottom shelf, it's loaded with a bunch of scripts. Which, you know, if you go to any anybody in Hollywood, if you see any of any anybody that's been around a long time, the old timers always have piles of old, forgotten scripts just stacked up on shelves. Usually, not that neat though. It's usually just, it's like a, a, a vertical stack. It doesn't. They don't really. Uh, well, there's uh, a famous book, isn't that the greatest films never made? I think uh, Ridley Scott's I Am Legend is one of those. So there's a, the whole like elephant's graveyard of unproduced uh, yeah. movies that get not only beyond script stage sometimes but even into the special effects the development and even into shooting and then they abandon them yeah i mean the uh i mean there was a 1976 version of dune that i think got all the way through uh they were building models and production is that and the stuff. Jura- Jura- Jodorowsky one i think or no is that the ridley yeah, scott one because there's I a i think it had giger giger had a that's it yeah it, that's the know. latest one i think the Jodorowsky's dune is a uh, a documentary that came out two or three years ago, I think. But I think after that, Ridley Scott took it on. And I think some of the production things in that, like the temple and the, the, the I guess, the mound in Prometheus with the skull on top. Yeah. That's yeah. from Jodorowsky's Dune, isn't it? That, and then it maybe was going to be the alien pyramid and alien, and they scrapped it for the derelict ship. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Unproduced no, uh, films and Crusades, I think, was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger with Ridley Scott. That never happened either. That was in the 90s or supposed to be. I guess that became Kingdom of Heaven, but I'd have to check. And I think this this script that uh, that Steve Martin and, and Oz were working on had been kicking around for 10 or 12 years before he got around to uh, to actually filming it. Yeah. So this was kind of in between a bunch of things. I mean, he had been doing like L.A. Story and uh, Man with Two Brains and all that was, was all working yeah. up toward this. <laughs> so it's... Uh... The Man with Two Brains. That's great. That's Carl Reiner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's, is he it's involved like, in this at all? It seems Carl Reinery. Uh, I don't think so. No, uh, but it, yeah, it's you know, it it has that it has that small budget appeal. I mean, this could, yeah, this could be easily have been a TV series, um, but it's you know, it's still it's still shot for a for a movie audience. But it's I don't think this size movie is made anymore. No, all you know it. it it's um, at least not at least not in. What the, was the budget for this, or what would you think it was? Ooh, I would say that it's probably maybe twenty million. Not okay. Even that. I, I well, you that. never know. I think I was having this discussion with Hainsey like literally two days ago about the state of, like you said, this fragmentation of Hollywood, uh, 
they're kind of moving production out, like you said, Vancouver, uh, Atlanta, Europe and stuff. Uh, we might see the return of perhaps smaller budget films because you either get a giant ten pole that people come to the cinema for or the movies, and then no one's going to see the in-between stuff. Top Gun Maverick did well and Avatar 2, but they were kind of event pictures or they were very like, you know, whatever. But now we've had Megan come out this week, I think, or this weekend. It was six or 12 million to make and it made 30 in its opening weekend. It's heading towards 100 now, I think. So that's a giant hit. So I think maybe films will return to this, you know, 20, 30 million dollar thing. I don't think everything has to be this tentpole Marvel blockbuster because I think they're kind of faltering slightly as well because they're falling into a, a formula as Westerns did in the kind of 60s, 70s, didn't they? Yeah, and, and hard to, um, like, what do you call a big movie or a little movie? Does it have a lot of, is it, is it paying for the stars? I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of things like, um, you, you know, in this, this year, uh, the menu was, uh, a big, a big film with, you know, yeah. fine critically and, and commercially. Everyone, my mom saw that two days ago on, uh, it Apple TV, whatever channel it was on. And yeah, HBO, yeah, she loved it. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. I mean, Anna, Anna Taylor, Joy Taylor. Taylor Drive. Who's in everything? <laughs> yeah, she's she's like this 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 year's the it, thing. The it person, yeah. Yeah, uh, but it's like um, I don't know if you call that a big. Would you call that a a tentpole or a big screen movie? I, no, but it's, it's I don't know. It kind of straddles the line between slightly art house, but then like indie film. It's like an a is it an A twenty four film? Because A twenty four seemed to make a lot of uh, yeah, low budget, but very kind of beautifully shot art house slash horror style films, don't they? Whereas Blumhouse. Is five six million dollars like Megan, like Halloween, you know, rip your head off and strangle your blood goes everywhere. Lots of people come out to see it; they make the money back at least two or three times over, so it's profitable. So I don't know. I think uh, maybe the menu is a twenty. They could because they do like classy horror, don't they? Like Midsummer or this kind of thing, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Or is it Smile as well? Smile. I saw Smile. That was really great until it fell apart at the end. Yeah, it ran out Smile. of ran out of uh, yeah <laughs> ran out of gas sort of yeah. Um, I'm still trying to find out what the uh, what the budget was. It did make uh, somewhere near eight, 85 million. Oh wow, um, that's pretty good. Uh, so yeah, not 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 too bad for a yeah. for this size movie. Um, I just can't find. Nobody seems to tell how much money it went for. Box office mojo has that got the? I think some some. Oh, I don't think it was cost more than eighty five million. Bowfinger, but usually they don't put the budget on when it doesn't get past the budget on some some uh, sites do they so like, it's embarrassing so they don't say anything but i wouldn't have imagined bowfinger cost 85 million no way probably like you said 20 million so they're going to turn a profit uh, yeah nine, 90 a total worldwide was 98 uh, million 625 okay so. yeah so now that's probably over what, 150 ah, on a oh, budget on a budget of, on a budget of 55 so yeah, okay. it, it doubled its money so that, that's that's uh, that's pretty good or is that marketing? Is that like another third? Or is it half the budget on marketing as well? well or is that just think, a modern parlance think, of films? I think what Bobby Bowfinger says, you know, it's like all the net net uh, piece of the nut and uh, pre-tax pro, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. It's just numbers are dancing around. It's not real. So, um, but uh, yeah, make it, it had a pretty good Saturday for its first Saturday. It had a uh, 13, 13 million over the first weekend. So not too bad. Well, I mean, Steve was still a big star then, wasn't he? He was like, uh, he kind of, he's dropped out of film somewhat, hasn't he? He just writes books and plays his uh, banjo, I think. Is that his yeah, shillelagh? He's, yeah. yeah, he's doing a... He, Born he's, Standing Up was his book. He's doing a, 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 a whatchamacallit, a... Uh, Martin Short War, TV show. Yeah, Martin Short, yeah. Plus, that's it. Martin, yeah, see Martin, Martin Living Short. with murderers something or murdering he, the apartment? He's doing live shows across uh, across the US right now as we're, as we're recording. Ooh. 
So uh, I wonder what his show is because it was like zany absurdness, wasn't it, in the seventies? And yeah, like a, almost like a prop comic. Yeah, I, I yeah. would think I would think that it's probably more skit involved, or maybe yeah. just some. He, he, he's probably got something worked out with Martin Short, but uh, you know, he has a <laughs> he has a new book about making movies called uh, Number One is Moving. Right. And uh, I haven't haven't read it yet, but it sounds it sounds intriguing. I don't know if he's covered Bowfinger in it. So. <laughs> Uh, I did. I did reach out to his uh, publicist, which means we'll never hear from him again. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like I said, if you can't, if you if you don't ask, they they. Uh, the, the well, I suppose the publicist is there for a reason to protect their clients, and if some kind of uh, yeah, even yeah. though you're a, a giant and behemoth in the minute movie yeah. world, they might go again. Like what happened to me. What's a podcast? They might still even be there. I don't yeah, know. Everybody, yeah, everybody in this movie of. Uh, made it big which is the big problem you know if you can find some if you, I, I need i need has-beens i mean it's like eddie murphy's on the show you know i'm never gonna get eddie murphy christine baranski is even having a great career i mean she's doing that uh julian fellows show the gilded age and she's in the uh, yeah the good wife or whatever and, and you know it's, it's like everybody uh, jamie kennedy is a is a ma massive podcaster right now so he's he's doing a fine fine and the ones the people that I that I've reached out to, like Cole Suddeth in this in this minute, uh, or uh, Adam Alexi Mail, he uh, he's a no show. So I don't know, I don't know how to get into, either. Either they've gone off into oblivion, or they're too big to for the room. So, uh, or you never know. Tomorrow is a new day, or even next week. So, so someday I, <laughs> um, but yeah. So it's just it's just gonna be. I mean, even the there's a. There's a scene coming up where they film, um, they're they're filming in a in like a closed nightclub across the street from where the action's going on. Yes. And the guy that owns the nightclub, or the guy that's working in the nightclub, is uh, played by John Cho, who was you know Sulu and all the new yeah, Star yeah, Trek yeah. movies. So I'm never is it Harold never... Kumar as well. Is that someone else? No. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Harold Kumar. So it's like you know even that guy's big. <laughs> it's a little difficult. Um, <laughs> But you know, hopefully someday I'll be able to uh, to get somebody, anybody, to show up and and chat about things. Anyway, I hope that... this, I'm going to say so. One last thing before we yeah. sign off: what is this a set or is they shooting in the actual house? Do you think it's just a mock-up of the house? I'd I think them... I think it's a set. I would think yeah. anything indoors, you're going to you're going to be a set, and it's more you know, control. It's so much easier to to do that. You don't have to. I mean, you saw the the tight little street they're on. There, there's no way you can. Um, you know, you're not going to be parking all the lighting trucks and the in the the makeup kit things and the catering and all that. I love, I love that the patchy street. serial killer van as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh... <laughs> all the putty <laughs> repairs in the metal. Uh, what style of uh, architecture is the house? Is it like Villa style? What is it? What is the American kind of, I would think that's a uh, Southwestern Adobe style. It's the, uh, okay. yeah, it's the, the Latin style of uh, Sp Spanish. You expect, uh... expect Max Senate to be outside. Going, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it was probably being used back in the silent era, you know? Yeah. So like, Mary Pickford's uh, maid That's probably it. live there or something. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I know it's a, uh, it's, it's fascinating. The, um, do they, do you actually rehearse kissing scenes? Uh, I've never had one. Oh, but I, I know it wasn't the, the way back then, but someone I know has just got a job as a, uh, an intimacy coordinator. Oh, I think right, this yeah. is post me too. It's just like, I'd imagine it's so awkward and it's so, I mean, I've heard other actors say this. It's uh it's put together like a Swiss clock. You put your hand there, you do that. So it's so regimented and weird. Uh, I suppose that rings any kind of passion or, you know, 
whatever yeah, out of it, doesn't it? I don't know. I'd imagine. But so, it's yeah, a job. Was, yeah, it's a, yeah. If they got I mean, the light meter in your face and they're measuring the thing between the camera and your ass or whatever, like yeah, and and yeah. you're you know, it's like, and this is some person that you just met at a table read, and now you're you know gonna be crawling into a bed with them or something, and it's just <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and you have to be familiar. You have to be familiar, like oh yeah, we know each other quite well. Um, <laughs> it's uh yeah, it, it it's just an odd what an odd way to make a living. Um, but it's a living. I'm like the Paris underneath the sink in the uh, in the Flintstones. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh, wow. Um, so I I think we've beaten this one to death. We've beaten um, this one to death. It's the end of our Tuesday episode. But I will say this, viewers, let's try and model through the outro because I've actually lost it again. But uh, we're going to try and play jazz. If not, Jim will do an edit and send me the script now. But uh, here we go. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. This has been the Bowfinger Minute. Now, if you uh, want to give us a love review or a star or just a big kiss on uh, either Spotify, iTunes, uh, is it uh, bowfingerminute.com, just something that boosts the algorithm and gets us out there to as many listeners or Bowfinger fans who haven't discovered the show yet as possible. Uh, also, what else do I need to say, Jim? <laughs> well, you know, we didn't talk about it yesterday, Ethan, but where yes. can people find what you've been doing? You, you've oh. done all your... Uh, well, my two-minute Terminator show is still on uh, YouTube. You can find it there. Uh, I think we're the third, second, third or fourth, I think, of the minute shows to come out. And I had to, again, ruin, ruin the, the status quo by doing two minutes. Uh, but I ended up actually doing every Terminator film up to Genesis. We did about three and a half years, I think, or something wow. weird. Take a break, do it, take a break, do it. Uh, I've also got a show called Questionable that's still out there, but, but, uh, interviewing various Lumiers of uh, politics and entertainment. And I've got lots of kind of uh, takedown videos. If you go to uh, Questionable, Ethan McKinley's Questionable on YouTube, you can find me there, or you can find me on IMDb and look at my patchy career. By the way, Jim, there's a page of self on IMDb and all of my credits, I think, bar one, are with you and all these minute shows. So thank you. I'm <laughs> yeah, in the well, league table I'm, somewhere. I'm trying. You, yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to fill that out. I, I, I keep. I, I have so many back. You know, the back catalog. Oh yeah. Needs, yeah. needs to get uh, documented, and it's it's just <laughs> you know I I would turn to my staff, but I, I don't have a staff. So well, just, I'd imagine like those hundreds of episodes having to log in. I, I don't know. Yes, but uh, yeah. I'm on there somewhere. I've just seen. I was like, oh, I did Silverado minute and Airport minute and. <laughs> Andromeda minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, and this this one will be showing up by the time uh, we, it starts. Uh, it starts. I'm trying to keep ahead of it. So, hopefully, exactly the, the current minute will be on IMDb. So, stay stay tuned, and you can find out how bad I am at it by going to IMDb and seeing if your name is appearing on the current list. Well, not so, only that, Jim. If people want to discuss the show or anything we've talked about, or get in contact with you or me, uh, there's a Facebook uh, group for this very film and indeed. this podcast. What is it, sir? It is called Welcome to Mindhead, uh, the Bowfinger Minute podcast. So it's all about uh, joining uh, now. Yeah, there we go. Please, yeah, please join, and you can uh, find find out uh, other people are actually listening to the show and have some concerns. Uh, hopefully, uh, there, hopefully there's lots and lots of people on there now because I mean the show's been on for almost a half an hour's worth of of uh, episodes. This is true. Uh, so lots of uh, lots of uh, fan base building up now. So join, yeah, join the conversation there on Facebook or on Twitter at uh, Bowfinger Minute. And thank you, everyone. Thank you for having me, Jim. And I promise tomorrow I'll have my sea legs under me and the intro and outro will be second to none. It'll be awesome. Or at least third to the other two episodes we've just done. <laughs> thank you. Wow. Okay, well, we will see you here next time. And in, in the meantime, please keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Keep it together.
together children I hope that we'll see you again Cause there's always One more Show. One more show.